Um, by the way, what did you what did you think about that? I mean, wh what were, what was your response to that question? Um, what does God think about you specifically? What does He think about you? Any takers on that question? Does he? Does he think about you? Are we assuming too much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Somebody once said that uh, it is actually a sign of God's greatness that he can be concerned with individuals. Um, it's not that, uh, this was in response to somebody saying, well, I think he's too great for that. And the person said, well, actually, that's a, a sign of his greatness, uh, that he can pay attention to individual people. Any other thoughts about what God thinks about you specifically? Are they, is God ever disappointed in you? Do you ever feel like that? I do. I do. Yeah. Anybody else feel that? I, I want to tell you, I, I don't, I don't think he ever does feel that way, ever. Um, disappointment is the gap between what you are expecting and reality. Well, of all persons, you would expect God to deal in reality, always. And so because he does deal in reality, he's not disappointed in you. The cross is the ultimate example of that. He went to the cross because he knows what it's going to take for us to live. And so... He's not disappointed. I, I am not quite convinced of that, but I think it's true. If, if I could only get there in my thinking, I really do believe that's the truth, though. I don't quite, I mean, I, I think I know it's the truth. I just don't quite believe it yet, but I really believe that's where we need to go. And... Um, to say that God is disappointed in you would imply that he had some kind of false hope or some kind of hope that didn't pan out. And I think he's just too, he, he's too God to, <laughs> to have some kind of wrong expectation. I hope that's comforting uh, to you because... Um, it's gonna, it, what it's going to take uh, for you, the kind of Savior that you and I need is a Savior who um, really sees reality.
And so that's, that's the Savior who is. Um, <clears throat> okay, God's will. This, this actually does touch on the, the um, subject of God's will because um, it, what God thinks of you specifically is either for your good or not. And God's will then is either benevolent or it is not benevolent. Um, it is for your good or it is not for your good. So we've really got to think hard about this. Um, I will say this, God's will, the, the phrase God's will, I think is often shorthand for the information I need to avoid risk. Now think about that. The information I need to avoid risk. Um, this is exactly, um, I think, where, where we land often. I don't, I'm afraid of risk, and therefore, if I know God's will, then I have insider information, so to speak. I have an inside track. I have the sure thing. The sure thing. And um, so until I have that, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to do anything. Now that may seem pretty righteous to you until it leads to paralysis. Um, insistence on knowing God's will just might lead to an inability to move. And in the words of Dallas Willard, um, being right, he, he, Dallas Willard talks about being right, that is knowing God's will will make me right, being right as a strategy for being safe. Being right as a strategy for being safe. And all of a sudden, the reason I want to know God's will is so that I can, have an, can, can avoid pain. It's not that I think God's will is lovely. It's simply that I want to avoid some pain. Um, what is God's will? in the Bible. I mean, does it talk about that? It does. Uh, not really necessarily in the, the phraseology that we often use, but the, probably the closest uh, immediately would be Micah 6, 8. This is a well-known passage of Scripture. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And therefore, what we see here is that God's will as such is God's will for you actually is a life reflective of God's character. Now, hear that very carefully. It's a life that is reflective of God's character. It's a life that takes on God's character. It's not, and here's, how, here's the difference, we often use it as, we often use the phrase God's will to mean, 
we, we don't consciously do this or, or, or if we do, it's been, it's, it's, we've done it so many times that it has become habit. Uh, we think of it often as a wiring diagram or a flow chart so that your life will work as advertised. You know, you have this picture of your life as to how it's supposed to work. And if you can sort of get the instruction kit uh, that's God's will and, you know, map it onto your life, then, then it's going to work like it says it's going to work. But see, the problem there is it becomes just a means to an end, not the end in itself. And Micah 6.8 would lead us to see that God's will is simply a life that flows with his character. The New Testament way of saying that is Christ-likeness. Um, that Christ be formed in you is how Paul says that. Okay. Um, being right, that is, if you... If you know, if you are seeking to know God's will so that your life is going to turn out a certain way, uh, that another way of saying that is if I'm right, God's will will make me on the right track. So being right uh, is just, will, will make life a sure bet. But see, being right is not a cloaking device that will confound your enemies and cause them to miss you when they try to hit you. It's not exemption from harm or suffering or failure. It's not. Um, even if you knew God's will perfectly, I mean, even if you knew what the, what the wise thing to do would be perfectly, it's not an exemption from harm or suffering or failure. Jesus was the most right person who ever lived. And look what happened to him at the hands of his enemies. You see? Um, and Paul makes much of this. If our Lord suffered, we will suffer. If our Lord suffered, we will suffer. Um, how much more will we make a turn onto rough roads, even if we're right? But again, that's assuming that God's will means being right. Actually, God's will, again, means reflecting his character, being filled with his character, being formed in the likeness of Christ. And so we're left with still being fallible. We are human, we make mistakes, it's what we do. It's what we do, y'all. You make mistakes. Can you get that through your head? You make mistakes. And there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing that you can learn that will safeguard you from that. Zero. Now, you can become wise and you can perhaps avoid mistakes that stupid actions would produce. But you're never, you and I will never be exempt from mistakes. It's just not part of the promise. So get it clear in your head. I know the plans I have for you. Where does that come from? Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. And what? 
What? Not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, that sounds like, aha. There's the wiring diagram. There's the flow chart. But here's, here's what we, um, where is that? Oh, there it is. Um, here, here's how we often paraphrase um, Jeremiah 2911. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to read my version of the Amplified Bible. Um, this is how we often view it. I know the plans I have for you. You will receive the instruction itinerary in the folder you received with the title. You will review the instruction uh, folder with the title Complete Life Diagrams for connective, Connectivity Instructions because I'm too dumb to figure it out using my, you know, actual mind. We begin your project in the morning with the attachment <clears throat> of your lifelong training wheels. Lights out is 11 o'clock. I suggest you get some sleep. You're going to need it. You see, this, this is what we often read. And what do training wheels have to do with it? That means that implies that you will never rise above being told exactly what to do. And therefore, you need intellectual and emotional training wheels because you cannot be trusted ever to do anything beyond what you were told. Um, that's not the proper paraphrase of Jeremiah 29.11. Jeremiah 29.11, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Now, what he doesn't say, what God doesn't say, and what Jeremiah does not tell us God says, is I know the schedule I have for you. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Um, I know what you can become, in other words. You see, God can say this because he made us and he called us very good. He knows his workmanship. And his workmanship is so good that even though we are bent by sin, he has the power to renew us. And to remake us into beings who reflect his wonder. And so we, we hear from the Lord, you are going to be told exactly what to do. And if we hear that, we hear wrongly. This is the way you shrink a life not grow a life. Uh, the, the Bible often talks about God as a, a father, and sometimes the Bible uses uh, mother images for God too. Uh, I gave you birth, you know. Uh, I would have taken you under my wings like a hen gathers her chickens. But most of the time it's father images, but the point is it uses parental images of God. And when it does that, what it does is it, it points out that there is, a, there is a connection between how a life is grown <clears throat> as a child by a parent under a parent's care 
and how God grows us under his care. And if I say to my children, I am going to be over you like a, an Apache helicopter, um, then what do I do to my children? Well, certainly that, but I also stunt their growth. I stunt, because why? What if I never give, what if a parent never gives children the opportunity to fail? What happens? I mean, and, but do you know also what happens inside that child if, if, a, if, if there is a continual, um, oversight, sometimes it can breed resentment in the child. Um, but either way, you stunt the child's growth or you cre create resentment in the child. It's a losing thing. That's not how a life is grown. It's how a life is shrunk. And so Jeremiah 29, 11 is the furthest thing from shrinking a life. Um, so what good then is God's will? If God's will is not to give us a wiring diagram for our life or an, uh, training wheels for our soul, uh, what good is God's will? Well, its value is this. Human beings are going somewhere. And it's God's intent to train us to be able to get there. Hear this. Human beings are going somewhere, and it's God's will for him to train us to be able to get there. Now, any, um, any thoughts on where uh, the um, human race, God's intent for the human race. Any thoughts on that? Yes. What is it? Yeah. Harmony. You know, I like that picture because it is, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture of what exists in the Trinity right now, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I think that's exactly right. Let me, let me though refocus that a little bit and say, what is God's intent for us? Uh, what does he want us to do? Um. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20 um, says that we are created to reign with God. Reign, not like what's going on out here, but 
R-E-I-G-N, reign um, with God. What does it mean to reign? Let's talk about that just for a moment. Y'all, because this is super important, I'm telling you. Um, what does it mean to reign? Hmm? Thoughts, really. Let's talk about reigning. We kind of gloss over that. What does it mean to reign? To reign. I'm going to guess that y'all are just really thinking hard. Yes, absolutely. So, yes, sir. To have what? To have power. That's one thing that it means to reign. Yeah. To have power. Power. Yes. Yeah, is this is it about what it means to reign? All right. And, and uh, the purpose is for doing good in the world. Okay. So authority and power What for the purpose of doing good. To, keep going, y'all. What does it mean to reign? Yes, ma'am. D say, say that again. Control. 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 To have responsibility over something. Uh, yeah, we have say. We, are, we own, we are in charge. We allocate resources. We, we have this picture of reigning as sort of a monarch sitting on a throne and saying, you know, feed me grapes, uh, or I don't know what, but, um, you know, fan me with the palm leaf. That's Richard's, probably Richard's, uh, uh, you know, hope for heaven. But um, grapes, take it away, take it away. We have that sort of, um, but here's the thing, what you just, what, what y'all just said, power authority, control. I keep thinking of Janet Jackson's hit control for some reason back in the 80s. Um, but, uh, and, uh, y'all do that one, control? I'm just kidding. Uh, all right. Um, power, authority, control, responsibility, ownership. Let me ask you this then. All of this, so far, you know, we're going power, control, authority, ownership, responsibility. Yeah. Except maybe the responsibility part, but yeah. Um, what, and, and playing off of that responsibility part, what, hang on just a minute. What does it take? What would it take for you to handle those things well? Okay, yes, Jesus did say that, but, but say that you're finally not a servant, but a, a reigning monarch. What does it take to handle those things well? Character. Maturity. Keep going. Huh? Discipline. 
What? Grace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the people who are in the other place. Uh, okay, they have raisins actually. Um, okay, but uh, it, it's think about this. It's keep. I mean, y'all y'all are y'all are really on this um, responsibility, maturity, discipline. It, do you wake up, huh? A support group. Okay, okay. All right. No, that, that, that's, but, but I'm talking about in, in yourself, within you. Uh, wisdom, did somebody say wisdom? What's that? Okay, humility and and that kind of thing. Okay, all right. See, Richard, Richard, go eat raisins. Um, okay, okay, and and I will I will give I will give I will give you this, Lucas, a a monarch support group. That probably is uh, these subjects. I don't know. They're driving me crazy. Me too. Uh, okay, and so. This is, no, it is, you're right in that community is a an indispensable thing. But as far as inner character, yes, all of these things, including a, a sort of um, realization of your limitations and, and that you are, that you don't hold anybody in, contempt or disdain that you have the humility to know like Jesus did you know he he was one of us you know so but power maturity discipline wisdom y'all is this something think about this do you think about how long you've been a disciple of Jesus Christ I mean do you do you wake up and go Wow, I'm sure glad I have that I am filled with wisdom and I will go out today and uh, be a wise light for everyone whom I encounter on this fine day. No, you say, you wake up and you go, what? And, and so that's, I mean, that's how we are most of the time. And perhaps as we go on, we can turn that what into more of a could it be? And then, oh yes, I see. And then I'm ready, you know. Uh, gradually. It takes time, y'all. You Think about this. If you are going to, if the human race is created, if if you were created to reign over the universe, what kind of project is that to get ready for? It's monumental. This is where, this is where, well, you know, it's a big universe. So this is where, see, we are, we are headed uh, somebody once called it training for reigning. 
mean, think about that. This is the destiny of the human race. And so, now, back, back down to earth, and by the way, not back to reality, because that is reality, back to the present. Uh, that's the value of God's will as character. As God's will is, is that we reflect and live the character of Christ. This is a lifelong project. That's what God's will is. Um, being a ruler over much. This was the point of Jesus' story. You who are faithful and little, I will make you a ruler over much. Um, and so it involves having say over resources and possibilities, y'all. That's what reigning is. So back to, so keep, keep this in your mind. I know this is a lot, but God's will as Christ-likeness is what we're talking about. God's will as Christ-likeness, not God's will as schedule. God's will as Christ-likeness. Now back to this whole schedule stuff. Let me just say that I'm going to say this and then I'm going to explain it. Three words. God doesn't care. All right, now I'm going to explain that. Um, the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ, not the schedule of Christ. Two things tell us how Jesus viewed decision-making. At least two, and perhaps more. But the parable that I read about the talents, what was missing from the third person's um, initiative? What, what, was it, what was missing from that? Yeah. What was missing? I'm looking, I'm looking for a certain word here. But, but you're on it, so keep talking. Did you hear what Jason said? I'm looking for, what, huh, what's that? He didn't think for himself. What happens when you think for yourself? What, what is involved in that? Yes, risk. We, we y'all, risk. I am still, I am still trying to learn that risk is not a sin. I'm still trying to learn that. I was raised with a version of Christianity that says, you will, nothing is ever risky if you follow Christ. It's all laid out. You just work the plan. You just work the plan, sir. You work the plan. It's like a funeral pre-need salesman, you know. Uh, I mean, you work the plan. Well, I want to tell you something. I have worked the plan. And the plan sucks because it's of our making. God's plan is for us to be like the first two people with the talents. 
that's his plan. His plan is for us to get into this life as finite human beings. And there's only one problem with that is we, we're finite. And, and we can't see the future. And no matter how much we pray, we're not going to know what's around the corner. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We walk by sight. That's how it was always preached to me, except we called it faith, but we really meant sight. But, you know, I, we start reading the Bible, and it actually says we walk by faith. And faith is actually faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And there's this element of risk. There's this element of thinking with your own mind. And, of course, that raises the question, well, what if I just think, you know, of things I want to do? Well, whose character are you learning? You can do that in your own character if that's the character you're going to learn or hold on to. But if you're going to think with the character of Christ, if you're going to learn that, that's a different way of thinking and a different way of living, and it's hard. It's actually harder than having it all lined out for you, which is why it takes faith. It doesn't take faith to walk a road that you can already see. It takes faith to walk a road up a mountain to sacrifice your son when you don't know what's going to happen. That's faith. Now, um, so the first w window into Jesus' thinking on this is the parable of the talents. The second window is Luke 12. When he's teaching along and somebody interrupts him, this is called the interrupting man, the story of the interrupting man. And Jesus is teaching along and somebody interrupts him in the crowd and says, Jesus, will you please be my broker? Except that's a very loose paraphrase. Actually, it says, Jesus, will you tell my brother to share the inheritance, inheritance with me? Jesus, my family is in shambles, and I need you to tell this loser that I'm right. And Jesus said to the man, okay, I will. No, he didn't say that. Do you remember how Jesus answered him in Luke 12? He said, that's not my job. He literally said that. He, he actually, the, the words are, who made me an arbiter or a judge between the two of you? Here's another way of saying that. You figure it out. But he didn't stop there, and he never stops there. He never just says, you're on your own. That's, you know, YOLO, you only live once. This is yo-yo, you're on your own, Y-O-Y-O. -Y -O. But um, Jesus never gives us, you know, sort of a yo-yo answer. He does say figure it out, but he, he says... And oh, by the way, 
these are the parameters of wisdom that will be helpful to you in figuring this out. Greed will kill you. In that particular instance, that's what Jesus said. And then he told this story, you know, about greed and how it killed, <laughs> basically killed somebody. But um, he, Jesus said, you, that's not my, what? That's not my job. And he might have been a little irritated also that he was teaching along and he was just interrupted. And he was just like, I was on this good point. What? You know, um, no, he probably wasn't. Surely he didn't have any human emotions like that. Oh, wait, he was human. Okay. Um, but he, he said, I, that's not my job. Uh, you figure it out. And oh, by the way, greed will kill you. So you see the brilliance of Jesus here. He says, you figure it out, and here's a light to figure it out by. Here's a light. It's not the answer. Jesus didn't care how he figured it out. As long as he figured, out, figured it out by the light of reality, in that particular instance, greed will kill you, so stay away from greed. And then... And then you can figure it out in a loving and Christ-honoring way. So um, this is how Jesus viewed decision-making. There's an element of risk there in this man's family. Risk all the way around. You know that dealing with family is risky. It is. And so, you know, God is a person, everybody. He's not a principle. He's not a formula. He's not an idea. Principles or formulas or ideas demand that you adhere exactly to their specific contours. God, on the other hand, breathes. He breathes. And he teaches you to do the same. So, does God care exactly about the minutiae? Or exactly, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, and we're going to wrap it up here in just a second. But here, here are a couple of practical things for growing in the character of Christ. If, if you will say, God's will is not a schedule for my day as much as it is the character of God in me. That's God's will. So a couple of practical things. One, when you're faced with some possibilities out there and you don't know what to do, Make the problem bigger. What? Well, here's what that means. Stop looking at the minutiae, the, the smaller things, as the determinants of your future. This is ultimately pharisaical. Why? Because, you see, the Pharisees said... The Sabbath, hmm, the Sabbath, oh, okay, we're going to, we're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, we're supposed to stop, so we're going to say, you can take 600 steps or whatever, and no more, because that's, that'll be considered work on the Sabbath, you can, you can walk, you know, take this many steps, instead of actually reflecting on the, on contentment, 
and limits and renewal, which is what the Sabbath was made for. See, they were focusing on minutia instead of these grand, beautiful realities that they could grow into. So the minutia is Minneapolis or Portland, Maine, you know, which job? Um, in the scheme of things, y'all, I, I know that sounds big, but it's minutiae, and I don't say that to, to belittle job prospects. What I say is that the, all the energy that you spend on Minneapolis or Portland is that much less energy that you will have to ask these questions. Spiritual development, um, character growth, use of talents, trade-offs. challenges those are big questions and important questions god cares about trade-offs you know I'll, I'll get to do this but i won't get to do that is that a deal breaker is that something that's just going to break my heart in all the wrong places you know um so these are helpful questions for prayer much more than Minneapolis or Portland. Um, we lose sight of these things. We do. We lose sight. That's the point of Romans 12, 1 and 2, by the way. We forget that we are, we are to be about becoming Christ-like. You, you know, present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship, and um, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to determine what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. In other words, not so that you will know the schedule, not so that you're all of a sudden I'm clear to see Minneapolis is it. No, all of a sudden you go, oh, it's, I've not even been paying attention to generosity in me. Might this help that? You know, might Minneapolis help that? Or, you know, you begin bouncing it off of those realities. Um, now, wisdom might and often does give you the wherewithal to avoid taking a crap job, for instance. Yes, there is that part of wisdom too. Um, and certainly there's everything right about spending time in prayer regarding those kinds of decisions. But don't kid yourself, y'all, and listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Don't kid yourself. You are not making a decision between life with God or life without God. And this is the most important thing of all. Whether it's a job or whatever kind of possibilities are out there, you are not making a decision between a life with God and a life without God if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
He's going to accompany you down all roads. This is true. All roads. Take him at his word when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. But the character of Christ, that is the big problem, the big question. Pay attention to that. And all else will follow. It'll sort itself out. That's why, by the way, that failure or bad times or a, a terrible job experience or hopes dashed or whatever is not a reliable indicator of whether a decision was God's will or not. That's a terrible standard to measure things by. Failure. It's a terrible standard. Can I just say that again? Do not measure things by whether you fail at them or not. That has more in common with the prosperity gospel than it does with the Bible. Suffering is going to be in your life. It is. It's not categorically a punishment. Sometimes it's the result of foolishness. But that's just the point. If you, if you accept that suffering is categorically a sign of being, of ignoring God's will, you, you are badly mistaken. It's a fact of life. So thank God that suffering has meaning for all who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Take it from somebody who has failed miserably and is still sorting it out. I have. But then go way beyond that and take it from somebody who really failed Jesus. And yet, he did so not being afraid of that. Well, we look back and go, well, that was a great triumph, the triumph of the cross. Well, not to anybody you would have interviewed at that moment in time. And, quite frankly, on the cross, Jesus said aloud what had been the lips of the psalmist, am, am I forsaken here? And God, who works all things for good, worked all things for good. So, make the problem bigger than the small questions. Ask those questions. Spiritual formation, character growth, use of talents, 
trade-offs, challenges. And secondly, and Lucas, you'll like this, keep the power of community for clarity. Mr. I got this, Ms. I got this, you don't got this as much as you think you do. Community with Christ and community with others. And it's often the same thing. In fact, Jesus said, where two or more more are gathered. I'm there. The Quakers used to have something called meetings for clearness. And they would sit around as somebody would be facing a big possibility and question. And he or she would gather close friends that uh, the person knew had great love for him and for Christ and say, what am I missing here? Or do you see anything in me that would be a problem if I were to do this or that? It takes some trust to do that, y'all. This is not just, you know, rubber stamp my choice or, you know, help me feel good about myself. This is challenge me here. Challenge me. And on both sides of that equation, the person who's asking you, and you, you've got to be ready to be honest. But that's community. So make the problem bigger and have some version of meetings for clearness, some version of that, okay? Um, questions, comments? And there are none. Okay, uh, we, we, uh, we will pray. Should I pray or should I go? Wait, Uh, pray at tables and then we'll call it a night. Okay, everybody, thanks.